Welcome to the Lion's Share Podcast for marketing leaders by marketing leaders. Brought to you by Fidelitas Development. Welcome to the first edition of the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Tyler Sickmeyer from Fidelitas Development, coming to you live from San Diego. Also along for the ride is our other co-host, Kyle Weber, from our offices in Nashville. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Glad to be here. For those of you that didn't download our sneak peek episode, the Lion Share Marketing Podcast is a marketing podcast for marketing leaders by marketing leaders. And we want to bring you the insights of the best and brightest, along with some great dad jokes. So that's what you're in for. Thanks for giving us a download and checking us out today. We'll get right to it. Let's check out what's in the news. News team, assemble! So in the news today, we want to shine a light on Mazda. They have their Mazda Drive for Good campaign, and it's at MazdaUSA.com. You can check more out about that. It's on their homepage right now. And so here's the gist of it is that if you take a test drive with Mazda, they will give one hour of community service to a local charity. And so thus far, at the time of this recording, uh, they have raised over $14.6 million and have donated over 200,000 hours of community service, which is just absolutely amazing. And alongside this campaign, they have paired it with some YouTube videos um, and a lot of stuff on Twitter as well. But the YouTube videos are really cool. They've got several different kinds, but one that spoke to me is that they have these therapy dogs and they take these therapy dogs and they drive them, of course, in a Mazda over to disabled vets so that they can interact with these disabled vets. And I'll tell you, it'll about bring a tear to your eye. And so I find this really awesome. And, you know, in the spirit of the holiday season, I think it's just one of those campaigns that you should just really check out. Uh, maybe even test drive a Mazda. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing that you can do is you can go to like Twitter or you can go to Instagram and you can type in the hashtag Mazda drive for good. And that is the number four. So Mazda drive for good. All right, on to our featured interview today. We were so excited to get this gentleman on as our first guest. John Henshaw, the CEO and founder of Raven Tools, is a wonderful individual with a lot of insight into where SEO is headed. Raven Tools is a great tool. It's a staple in the Fidelitas toolbox. I highly recommend marketing leaders out there check it out. Raven Tools is great for analytics and really just a staple from an SEO standpoint. So without further ado... So today on the Lion Share Marketing Podcast, we're very excited to have John Henshaw with us. John Henshaw is an internet marketing veteran that has been building and optimizing sites since 1995. He's also the co-creator of Raven Tools, which provides SEO analysis and reporting software for digital marketers. And that's a tool that we use quite frequently here at Fidelitas. Uh, he's currently focused on the launch of their new standalone site auditor for professional SEOs and SMBs. So, John, welcome to the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great. John, uh, for those that don't know, why don't you tell us what exactly is Raven Tools? Raven is a platform for mainly agencies and marketing pros who need to report on all of their online marketing efforts. That's kind of a, the core thing that it does, but it also has uh, several other tools that kind of 
help them in their efforts. So you had mentioned Site Auditor. Uh, we created one that's sort of a standalone, but the platform has has the original one. And so a lot of people use the Site Auditor to find problems on their site and, and be able to fix that, find problems for their clients' sites and, and fix it for them. Uh, and then we have some uh, different SEO tools and research tools and all kinds of, uh, of things you can kind of have fun with as a marketer. But I would say that the, the main, main thing that the Raven is, is a reporting uh, platform and uh, that site auditor. So John, where would you say that someone would get started with Raven? Where do they begin? Where do they begin? Kind of depends on um, what you're doing and who you are. Um, typically, if, if you're an agency, a lot of people will uh, sign up for the platform and they'll do one of two things. They'll either go straight to the site auditor and start crawling their site and finding problems, um, or they're there to actually uh, create reports uh, for their clients. And so they'll, they'll come in and start creating reports, and uh, which basically involves authenticating with like Google Analytics and Facebook and Twitter and all the different things that, that a typical online marketer would use. And then we connect all of them, really quickly create a report. And, and I would say that Typically, what somebody does is they will set up these reports, they will schedule them, and then kind of forget it. And because our system will just automatically create those reports each month and send it to their clients. Uh, if you're if you're not an agency, you're you're more of like say an affiliate marketer, or you just manage a, a handful of sites, or you're even like a small to medium sized business owner, then you might go straight to the standalone site auditor, which is the thing that we just launched, and and that. Uh, will essentially crawl your site and tell you what you need to fix. Great. So with Google changing quite often, does this allow webmasters to you know, know what changes need to be made? Does Raven help them understand that? Yeah, it does. It's, uh, I would say that the site editor is kind of a baby of mine. It's something I've, I've given a, a great deal of attention to and, and helped create. And uh, my personal passion is basically on-page technical SEO. That's what I love to talk about. It's what I love to do. And so I, I take that and essentially put it into this tool. And, it, and the way that happens is it's with the things that we check on. And, and so uh, the tool itself is always looking for all the things that we know matter to uh, search engines, in particular uh, Google. And then there is a, I can tell you, a really good-sized list of, of checks that we're actually working on adding right now that I would consider to be, you know, newish type of things that nobody's really checking for, but I think they should. And so even an example of that would be uh, speed and mobile and that type of thing is, is pretty important. And so one of the things that people should be doing is with their large images, they should be reducing the size of those uh, for based on the device that's actually accessing the site. And so the way you do that, the standard way you do that is with something called source set. And so that's one of the checks that we're actually working on now is to be able to identify large images on a site and then uh, check and see if you're using source set or not to display a smaller image for say a mobile device uh, and then we'll be able to tell you like, hey, these are the things that you need to go in and actually add source set to. So that's that's the type of thing as far as how we're approaching how Google is changing and, and how we can kind of keep the uh, auditing tool up to date. So just to understand, you know, when you're using the source set, it's telling us that, hey, for a desktop, the size might be 1600 pixels wide. But then when they're using mobile, it'll bring the size down for that mobile device. And that's something Raven will tell 
Yeah, it's sort of like that. It doesn't tell today. That's basically we're looking at where is Google going next and what's important to them and, and what do people need to be checking for? And so this is something we're actually planning on adding pretty soon. That I don't think anybody uh, provides. Uh, to be a little more clear about the, the image thing, it's not as much the width of the image. It's more of how the kilobytes, the, how big it is. And and so, you know, if you have a 500 kilobyte image, it might be fine on a desktop when it's connected to a broadband connection. However, just making it responsive, meaning, you know, it, you see it on your phone. And so sure, it might fit your screen because it's using a responsive design. It's still 500 kilobytes and it takes a while on some networks and on some phones to download. So, so what source that would do was, would be, it takes the normal image HTML tag and, and basically offers alternative images based on the width of that device's screen. So if, so if the, the screen size is say uh, 320 pixels wide, then you can say, hey, for any screen, any phone that has uh, this type of width, show this much, much smaller image instead. That's great, John. So tell us, for the marketing leaders at home trying to figure out why, why Google cares so much about site speed, what's the rationale behind their prioritization of that metric? Well, it really has to do with just mobile in general. It is taking over. And uh, I think it's been maybe well over a year now that mobile searches on Google have surpassed desktop searches. So, and, and mobile would be anything from a tablet to a phone. And you know, in most cases, it's, it's a phone. And Google themselves, I would say definitely within the past year, has made a very big focus on mobile in regards to uh, the search engine. So you, they, there seems to be less changes and even interest on their own part on what they're doing on desktop and much, much more um, interest and changes going on on the mobile side. And so uh, the reason why that is, other than the fact that they're getting more searches from mobile, there are different challenges with mobile. Uh, one of the challenges is do the sites that they're returning in their search results, are they responsive? Will they actually even work on a person's phone if we, if we recommend people go there for this particular search query? Uh, the other thing has to do with what is the overall um, general user experience, meaning like not only will it work and function on a phone, but does it take a long time to download? Do they have to wait for many, many seconds, that type of thing? And so all those things translate into speed. And, and so uh, because mobile is, is increasing in usage and the biggest problem with mobile are issues of speed, then that's kind of where their focus has gone towards. Uh, aside from SSLs, aside from securing uh, sites, their main focus is on speed. And so you see things like AMP, and so Accelerated Mobile Project. Um, I think that's what it stands for. Uh, and and you know, basically AMP is their sort of solution for, you know what, everybody sucks at, <laughs> at making their pages fast, so we're gonna come up with our own standard and make everybody conform to that so that they will truly be fast. And, and so they're kind of pushing it on people. Um, perhaps later in the conversation, we can actually talk about uh, an aside to that, which is like, what is Google really up to with AMP? Because there's some interesting conversations to have around that. But, but AMP is definitely one of their, their major pushes. They have they've had uh, PageSpeed Insights, uh, a tool out for a while that actually looks at how you're delivering um, all of your content and all the way down to where do you put your JavaScript links inside your HTML and just everything. It looks at everything. Are you using gzip compression? Um, 
uh, how many calls are you making or the browser take to download those files. Um, so it's, so that's, that, that is their big pushes because mobile is so popular now and it's, and it's just going to increase as opposed to decrease. Uh, and the biggest issue around it is speed. So this could really affect organic search engine optimization. For instance, like if I'm going to be at a desktop and I'm going to search for a local taxidermist in Nashville and I'm going to do that search and then I'm going to take my mobile device and do a search on Google for a local taxidermist in Nashville. Uh, you're saying that if, if, you know, say there's 10, um, the one that is using uh, AMP, they might turn up at the top of the list because there's a better experience there? So that's a tricky question because local is handled differently than sort of what AMP is being used for. And, and AMP is being used more for publishers and it's about to, to uh, start to be used more for things like e-commerce. So like eBay is implementing it right now. Uh, Amazon is supposed to be implementing it. Whereas with local, local has... Uh, my, I'm not a local SEO expert. I'll just go to say it right now. But, but my understanding of, of local is is that that kind of comes at you at a different angle because that has more to do with them uh, pushing knowledge data and pushing their maps and and basically uh, Google Business uh, data. And so, and you kind of get a different result. For that, there now where where it might affect uh, local companies would be their blogs or their content. So if I were searching for um, something that was related to a particular city and had to do with a product or something like that that was content based, then AMP would definitely play a part there. And uh, and so and since we're already talking about AMP, AMP basically takes your content makes a copy of it into an AMP version. And uh, the AMP version still gives the original credit, has a uh, canonical link to the original content, but what happens is, is Google comes along to your main page, it looks, there's a hidden sort of piece of metadata that says, oh, there, an AMP version exists. They follow that link, they go to the AMP page, and then they copy it and they put it on their own servers. And so what happens is is the user takes out their phone, uh, goes and does a Google search, and then you see these AMP results. And when you, when you tap on the AMP result, it doesn't go to your site. It actually stays on Google and shows the AMP version of your content that is hosted on Google. So nobody even ever even goes there. And then the AMP version strips out all JavaScript, strips out all your advertising and your uh -huh. navigation and all your things. Um, and, and you actually stay on Google the entire time. And so unless you have uh, internal links in that actual content that goes somewhere on your own site, they're never going to visit your site. And, and in fact, we just had uh, several software engineers go to New York for Amazon Web Services. I'm pretty sure it was AWS, their, their big conference. And somebody did a presentation on, on AMP. And, and they said that um, based on, on what they measured, only 3% of the people who clicked on AMP content uh, AMP articles off off of a Google search actually went to that person's site. So I mean, it, it kind of it's a as as much as I make fun of this term, it is a game changer. <laughs> it's a true. How, how does that affect Google Analytics reports? So it, it's it's interesting. So 
WordPress, which is the main CMS I use, has an AMP plugin for it. And uh, it, which is great because if you need to use AMP and you want to use AMP, and I encourage people to use AMP to some extent, uh, what it does is it automatically creates those AMP versions for you. Well, what it also does is it strips out your analytics. <laughs> and uh, and uh, for a lot of people who use uh, like sort of on-click event tracking on their links and things like that, completely strips it out. And so what AMP has is they have their own sort of AMP analytics way of, of adding uh, Google Analytics tracking. Uh, they also, of course, have their own sort of set up for advertising. So these things are possible. They're just not easily done yet. Uh, there are some, uh, in regards to WordPress, there are some plugins that you can use. And, and so I know that Yoast has something called Glue, and that kind of adds the ability, I believe, to sort of add uh, tracking and, and a couple other features. But for the most part, you there are things you kind of lose. And then on top of that, you, you even lose the ability to control it all because you're not even hosting it. Got it. And going back to Kyle's taxidermy example, I'm not sure if you guys heard what happened, but he actually ended up getting penalized by Google for keyword stuffing. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. That was nice. For those of you new to the podcast, you, you have to get used to the dad jokes. Uh, also... <laughs> Just yeah, dad jokes all over the place. I was like, taxidermy? What? Yeah, you know. Uh, by the way, I highly suggest at some point you do a Google search for bad taxidermy. Um, you'll you might cry. No, that's pretty funny. I've I've seen that before. How's, how Kyle spends his work time? That's, that's, right. that's <laughs> good stuff. Market research. It's market yeah. research. Exactly. The competition's pretty stiff, so you got to stay on top of it. <laughs> so, uh, I got that one. Yeah, I got so, that one. <laughs> so, 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 John, uh, where, where, where do you see Google going next? What's coming up? Is as we all know, Google continues to make changes to the algorithm. Uh, and where, where do you see it going? And uh, what do you think that uh, SEOs and uh, webmasters can do to prepare? Well, I think the the next place Google is going and are going at this moment is keeping you on Google. I mean, I think that's that's where Google's going, and and so um, to kind of continue to use AMP as a as a good example, uh, with AMP they aren't going to your site; they're <laughs> staying on Google. And I even wrote an article I think I published on Medium maybe a couple weeks ago called uh, the SERP app, Google's new SERP app, which is basically it, you get trapped inside the SERP. I was on my phone. And I was searching for like next episode for something. And then it sort of presented me with this one result. And I tapped on it and I was just like stuck in this world I couldn't get out of. But I was still actually technically in the search results. Looked nothing like search results I've ever seen before, but I was sort of trapped in it in a browser. And I just kind of kept clicking around. And it took me to a, a knowledge base results only. And then it took me to another one, but that one almost looked like a miniature website. But I mean, the entire time I'm on Google and I'm technically in their search results. And, and so that is where I think things are going because if you look at what they're doing across um, all kinds of, of other markets, uh, they're, they're basically saying all the things that particularly SEOs have enjoyed for the past 15 or some odd years as far as things around mortgages and credit cards and everything you could think of that you could get a lead or get money off of if you could rank uh, organically for it is going away. And 
and it's partly going away because they they make they are making changes in general to their algorithm, but it's also going away because they're competing against everybody else. Google is basically saying, "Hey, you know what? We can actually." take this lead <laughs> and we can capture, you know, people are coming to us. Why would we, why would we even recommend that anybody go to any of these other places to learn about stuff and sign up for stuff when they can do that here? And, and so you're seeing something where uh, it's, it's, it's almost like what I call the AOL ization <laughs> of, of, uh, of sort of the web or whatever, where originally if you're, old like me, the internet used to basically be AOL. And you used AOL for dial-up. Uh, AOL originally didn't even want you to even know there was an internet. They would just try to keep you in their, in their own little AOL world, and you had your news and everything else like that. And uh, ultimately, people discovered the internet, and they're like, screw you, AOL. You know, <laughs> I'm going to use the internet now. And so they had to make changes. But I see sort of a return to that. I mean, that it, it, this is even true with uh, sort of closed ecosystems like Facebook. There is a return to providing all the things you could possibly need in one location. And so, you know, Facebook is, is designed to keep you from needing to go anywhere else. I mean, ultimately, Facebook wants to provide everything. You know, Facebook is supposed to be even uh, launching their Facebook for work next month or whatever is supposed mm -hmm. to be against Slack and Yammer and that kind of stuff. And so I see the same thing with Google. I, I think that, that Google doesn't want you to leave their properties. They want you on Gmail. Um, I don't know if they want you on plus that's kind of an interesting place, uh, but they want you on their search results and their search results are increasingly becoming something well beyond what we've understood to be search results. Um, you know, in the past, uh, you take it a step further and you have, uh, it was a, I I'm more of an Apple person, but it's called like Google now, or is that what it's called? Google, whatever their assistant is where you can talk into it. Oh yeah. I'm not sure what that's called. Okay. Well, but, but it's, it is basically the Siri of, of Google and, and, uh, and every, a lot of things are, are moving towards not really going off that property. And, and for that particular service, Google, in this case, just giving you what it thinks might be the best answer. And because it knows you, it knows you and it knows your surfing habits and it has access to your calendar and has access to all your email um, and it has all your search results and everything you've ever done, um, you know, you take AI and you take this desire for you to not leave Google. And I think that's kind of where things are going. So, so the question was, what do SEOs need to do to prepare for that? Well, some things we can't do, uh, but some things we can. And, and so, for example, with, with a, a very practical piece of advice for now um, in regards to say AMP would be, Hey, you know, if, if, if calls to action are your most important thing, and so if you're trying to have certain things rank in the organic results so that they get to the page and you're actually trying to sell them something different or you know, I mean, around that content, well, you need to find a way to turn that into the content itself. It needs to be something that is included in the AMP page that gets hosted by Google and is the search results. So. So if you're doing something where the action is outside of that content, that's your number one thing to change today is to put that action inside of the content that's inside, that is, um, that will work 
with AMP markup. And, and so for affiliate marketers, that's probably the easiest thing to do because they're probably already doing it. Uh, but for other people who have a particular sign up or are trying to get them to do something, it's usually on a sidebar, or it's above the content, or it's below the content, they need to find a way to um, start putting that inside of the content so that, right. they, so that they get that call to action. Yeah, that's a great point. So if everything is you know, moving to where it's going to stay inside of Google or a particular platform, what, how does that affect reporting? And then also what metrics should, you know, marketing leaders be paying attention to when it comes to monthly reporting? So the, what I would say would be that the good news is that, at least for now, Google still seems committed to uh, being able to uh, provide us search analytics data. So, you know, they've gone, I know this intimately, they've gone up and down, you know, over the years as far as like, we want you to have this data, you can't have this data, now you can have this data, but you can't use it in a certain way. And now, now they're, they're at a place with uh, Search Console that they actually are providing search analytics data. For the hardcore SEO, it's not enough for them, but, but in general, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of good data. And that's, that's actually the thing that we tap into with our platform. And, and so, so you have that, you have those uh, analytics uh, from them, and AMP does support Google Analytics. Uh, technically, it's uh, the thing I haven't tested yet is being able to actually track uh, particular types of, of links. And, and so, for example, um, there's always going to be certain workarounds. So if, so if you wanted to know if somebody was, uh, if, if you have an AMP page out there and you know, it, you know that it ranks well, um, you have basic Google Analytics tracking on there, so you know that you know, these pages are being viewed. But then you also want to know, if people are clicking on uh, one or more of the links uh, or calls to action inside of there, then my recommendation would be that if, if you can't get tracking to work um, on, uh, you know, through that mechanism, then, then I would actually do, do some sort of like URL shortening. I would do or some sort of redirect. So the links that I include inside there actually are sort of a, a URL. It would be like a shortened URL that actually redirects to the one that I originally had there. I mean, so those, those are the type of things that I would recommend doing. But, but obviously, the, the, the number one thing, thing that you should do is try to follow whatever standard they have and don't go down the road of, re of, of workarounds until you have to. But that's how, that's how I would approach it now is, is just figure out the workarounds if, if it's uh, can't do it yet. Sure. Yes. As far yes. as a, uh, oh, I just wanted to ask really quickly about um, a URL shortener. What URL shortener do, do you suggest that, people use in, in order for tracking and how does that work with Raven? Um, I use uh, URLs, which is like your Y-O-U-R and then uh, L um, S and, and, uh, and I, I use that it's open source, it's free and it works really well. And then you can tack on, you know, anything as far as, you know, UTM code and that type of thing. Mm, yeah. um, I mean, you could use bit.ly or, or whatever you want to use. I just like, I like that because it's just fast and it works and I can host it myself. So like we have uh, raven.link is a domain that I'll typically use and that just runs off of URLs and, and, uh, and so that's, 
That's what I would use. I, I feel like you had another part of that question. Oh, oh, and how you, with Raven? Well, so Raven, um, with Raven, we, we basically just bring in your Google Analytics data for your reporting. So as long as you've set up your UTM settings, basically your um, uh, we have something called GA config that we made a while ago, and and it's based off of something called medium and source and 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 so you can you can say where basically you can add context to a link and and say where it was coming from and what it's about and then that will be recorded in Google Analytics and then you can view that and you can report on it. it but but it's it kind of stinks because it's you're, it just makes things more complicated. <laughs> right. I mean, because now it's not how you would typically link to things, but you have to in order to get that to work. Um, so, I mean, I will say that uh, event tracking may work perfectly on, on uh, you know, like on-click events may work perfectly on AMP. I have not tested it yet. All I know is that, that the on-click uh, sort of code that I've used in the past gets stripped and is not compatible and doesn't work. Uh, but I do know that they are making efforts to, you know, make all of the uh, analytics tracking work with GA. So there's, there's got to be a way. There may already be a way. I'm just not aware of it yet just because I haven't looked through the documentation. Great. And, and John, tell us a little bit more about your newly launched tool, the site auditor on Raven Tools. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the... Uh, so the site auditor, we, we created the site auditor, uh, say like two and a half, three years ago. And, and it was funny because it just, it, it was, a, it was sort of a, a problem, a need I saw in the marketplace and, and it quickly became our number one tool. I mean, it, people love it. I mean, next to reporting, it just, it was the tool that people use and, and I use personally. And, and so, uh, the, the thing was, was that, in order to use the tool, you had to sign up for the entire platform. And, and so we had a lot of people coming in. They were like, oh, I don't need all these other things. I just want to use a site auditor. And so that's what led us to make the standalone version was because they didn't want to pay the full platform price just to access this one tool. So that's kind of where that came from. And, and then the, the other thing uh, that we uh, did with this and why we made it sort of its own version is the platform, the software's been around for about nine years and it's certainly gone through different redesigns and it's changed over the years. But um, like any software, you have what is typically called technical debt. And, and what that kind of, what it can mean is that it makes it difficult to try things that are new just because it would affect or break too many other things on, on the rest of the platform. And, and so, um, Creating a standalone version gave us the opportunity to truly try all the things we've been wanting to try but couldn't, and and that included a different idea of UX. You know, like hmm, would it it'd be interesting to see if we made it so people could use it this way instead of that way, and uh, it made it a lot easier to to make it uh, mobile responsive, which this is. You know, so there's all kinds of things we could do there. Uh, it basically allowed us to come up with a completely new front end from scratch that was unlike anything we've done before. Um, and, and, it, and it let us take different kind of chances and, and test out different things. So for example, uh, even just to sign up, 
because it's it is a separate product from the platform even to sign up for this uh, we decided to at least for now to uh, make it so that you can only sign up with a Google account and and so as opposed to a Raven account and with your email and and so far that has not kept people from signing up so that's a good thing um, we were afraid about that uh, of that happening um, and it also is a nice pre-qualifier because it's a legit account. It's a account that if we ever add some features, which we do plan on adding, that, that connect with Google Analytics, that connect with search analytics, then we already know they have a Google account, so it's not going to be too hard uh, for them to do that. Um, it's, uh, it just it let us sort of, s kind of change how we deliver the data. So, you know, as I said kind of early on uh, in our conversations, conversation today about the platform, the platform is really more geared towards pros and agencies and that type of thing. And so the site auditor is on the platform is also geared towards them. And, and so it's a little more advanced uh, in the way it presents data. It actually presents more data on one page about many things uh, versus the new one, which is um, ideally kind of designed for pros and even just kind of small to medium-sized business business owners. And so what we've done is we've sectioned everything. We've tried to simplify the presentation of the information so that you're not overwhelmed with uh, too many things. And so the best example of that would be uh, you could have many different visibility issues with your site. On the platform, we show them all at one time. Um, and on the new one, we show them one at a time. So um, if you have page errors, you're only going to be able to see page errors as part of your visibility issues. And, and, and part of that is also not, it's not just to make sure we're not overwhelming them. Uh, it's also uh, uh, an idea around focus, the fact that you can only fix one thing at a time. And so that was another thing that we did with, with the new site auditor was, you know, this idea that you can only fix one thing at a time. So where can they, where can our listeners go ahead and find the site auditor? Uh, so if, if you want to sign up for uh, the new site auditor, then you can just go to raventools.com. And it is as simple as right on the homepage. Uh, you can just enter in your website and log in with Google, and that will take care of the rest. One final question for you, and we'll let you get on your way. Uh, we, w one thing we try to do with every episode is we want to make sure that we give our listeners uh, one tangible takeaway. So if they only get one thing out of this episode, uh, what would you what would you want our listeners to go away with, and uh, what what's what's your one big thing for our listeners today? Well, it's it's a bit of a theme of what we've been talking about, but if uh, you know, based on on the topic at hand, uh, people need to speed up their sites. They need to they need to seriously start start looking at that because it is going to be a major factor, particularly on mobile. And if you aren't thinking about that right now, and even the idea of, of what I mentioned earlier about source set is just foreign and you don't even know what I'm talking about, you need to start looking into it. Uh, because before you know it, you are going to see yourself start dropping in the search results. And it's going to be because uh, your competitors are making our sites faster and thinner and leaner. 
That's great. Awesome. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, for our listeners, if you want to follow John on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at Raven John, at Raven J O N. Uh, so look him up and follow him on Twitter and uh, be sure to check out that uh, freemium site auditor, uh, which is a great tool and speed up those sites. So thanks, thanks again, John, for joining us today. Yeah, hey, great time. Thanks for having me. And that concludes our interview with John Hinshaw. For more information on Raven Tools and what John's up to and where you can connect with him, as well as where you can connect with Kyle and myself, head over to the show notes. You can also find those online at lionsharepodcast.com slash the number one, and you'll find all the information that you're looking for and more. And Kyle, it wouldn't be a full episode if I didn't leave us with a dad joke. Oh, please, please. Are you ready for a great dad joke? I don't know if I've ever been more ready. Why did the marketer get off the trampoline? I I don't know. He was worried about his bounce rate. Oh, oh yeah. That is something we all should be worried about. So watch out on those trampolines, folks. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening into the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. Cheers. You've been listening to the Lion Share Podcast, brought to you by Fidelitas Development, your marketing partner for better brand loyalty.